Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Fascinating couple hours we have for you. Fascinating night, actually. Ralph Nader with us, consumer advocate, one of America's most effective social critics. His analysis and advocacy have enhanced public awareness and increased government and corporate accountability. His example has inspired a whole generation of uh, consumer advocates, citizen activists, and public interest lawyers. He first made headlines as a young lawyer back in 1965 with his book, Unsafe at Any Speed, which led to congressional hearings and the passage of a series of life-saving automobile safety laws in 1966. If you ever get in an accident and you're okay, Chances are it was because of Ralph Nader and what he did many, many years ago. Ralph, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, George. I want to get your reaction uh, quickly to uh, the Democratic debates being held in our city of Detroit, where you, of course, went after General Motors years ago and uh, made some history for the world. But uh, uh, the uh, second part of, part of the debate will be with the other Democratic uh, candidates who are seeking the nomination tomorrow. But how does this overall election feel to you right now, Ralph? Well, I like the idea there are a lot of candidates because you get more ideas, more energy, more uh, viewer participation, perhaps uh, a larger turnout for the votes. But what's interesting is is the way uh, the, uh, the issues are uh, presented to the candidates. I mean, they they don't ever talk about corporate crime wave in the country. They don't talk about a lot of things that affect the maldistribution of power. And so a lot of the candidates can almost predict most of the questions. They know there's going to be one on immigration, for example. There may be one on health insurance, for example. But there's never one on how to make people more powerful back home so they can recover some of their sovereign power and use it to build a productive democracy to control the Congress, to control their state legislatures, to teach their children how to be effective citizens locally. Uh, that's never talked about. And you were a candidate yourself once. Remember that? <laughs> More than <laughs> once. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Let's go back to the beginning for a lot of the younger, brand new listeners that we have here, Ralph, who might not know who Ralph Nader is or what he really did for America. How did this all start for you? What did you? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I remember General Motors and the Corvair, and you talking about the engines and things like that. But how did this happen? Well, it happened. I guess I had a lucky choice of parents. Uh, they they always said to us when we were growing up, and we did a lot of reading. And they would say to us, you're, uh, you're trained in school, you're educated at home, and you're excited at the local library. And they always said that the other side of freedom is responsibility. You've got to be civically active, not just apathetic and just gripe and do nothing. So I grew up, and uh, like a lot of people uh, in those years, auto crashes were much more frequently fatal. Yeah. In fact, right now, uh, you have uh, one out of five less chance of getting uh, seriously uh, injured in a motor vehicle crash. In other words, uh, in the 1950s and 60s, it was five times at least uh, greater likelihood you'd be killed or seriously injured in a crash. So I, I lost a lot of friends in high school, college, and mm-hmm. they were either uh, injured, killed. In those days, you know, uh, paraplegics, uh, could hardly survive. They weren't allowed to go to school. There were no ramps, and uh, quadriplegics never survived. So I began looking into, you know, why is why did this happen? 
And we saw cars with no seatbelts, clearly no airbags, no collapsible steering columns. The steering column is like a spear. You could spill out on the pavement because the door locks were not very good. There were no head restraints. The padded uh, dashboard wasn't in. It was like a a room full of knives that you were in. You could get killed in a 15-mile-an-hour collision hitting the dash panel and other things like that. And the brakes and, and tires were not very good. And so I, I, I was at the Harvard Law School, and I wrote a paper called Unsafe Automobile Design and uh, the Absence of Any Federal uh, Safety Standards, and turned it into a book on safe and easy speed. That caught General Motors' attention. They hired private detectives to follow me, and they made the mistake of following me at, at the Senate office building in Washington <laughs> when I was scheduled to, to be a witness. And <laughs> that is... Uh, a federal crime when you try to intimidate a federal witness. And the, the guards caught him, and then the press began to cover it. And there were hearings in the spring of 1966 in the Senate, and then later in the House. And within nine months, George, after the book on safety and speed came out in November 1965, the, the biggest industry in the country was under federal regulation to produce safer cars, uh, cleaner uh, engines and more fuel-efficient vehicles. Well, we all owe you a debt of thanks, I'll tell you that, because you have saved probably hundreds of thousands of lives, Ralph, since this all happened. You know, the, the folks at Ford and General Motors and American Motors at the time, Chrysler, they're not stupid people. Was this all about money? Why, why didn't somebody say, what a great marketing idea to say, we build the safest cars and put airbags in there or put seat belts in there? Why didn't they do that on their own? Why did it take you pushing it? They got lazy. Uh, this was before uh, foreign competition. And we got, uh, started bringing cars in, more fuel efficient, etc. Uh, Volvo came in with the seat belt, three-point seat belts. That was before that. So they were selling style. They weren't selling safety. They were selling chrome. They were selling uh, horsepower. They were, they were selling the kind of things that got people excited, especially young people. And they weren't paying attention to innovation. They weren't paying attention to more fuel-efficient cars, more crash-protective cars, uh, because they thought that would take the joy out of riding. You, that, you know, you, you talk about seatbelts, George. You talk about uh, um, better brakes. You're, 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 you're talking about that they might have crashes, and that, that would take away from the psychosexual emotions that they were trying to sell. I mean, they had... They had uh, Models like when you get behind this car, you feel like you have your own nuclear deterrent. Mm-hmm. And when you get behind this car, you'd be like a thunderbolt. I mean, they were almost goading people in terms of the speed and how, uh, horsepower. So the, the style prevailed over engineering integrity, and, and they kept making money because they didn't have any competition. And they're still doing that to some respect in terms of their commercials and things like that. But Yeah, they're, they, they like to... Uh, talk about speed, but they're also em- emphasizing safety because they finally realize that a lot of families want to protect their kids and themselves, and, and, and they want safety, uh, and they want better brakes, they want better tires, they want better handling. So they, they, they now have commercialized safety, which is a good thing, but you're right. They still, you know, when you see the ads on TV, what do you see first? You see the vehicles zooming, <laughs> you know, from zero to 60 miles an hour in a few seconds. We'll take calls with Ralph Nader next hour. And uh, believe me, we're talking with someone who is a piece of history here. Ralph, 
let's talk about this country that you love, that I love, and that our listeners love so much. Give me your overall perspective on just how you feel things are happening right now. Well, every society has a problem. The problem is too much power concentrated in too few hands, and the few decide for the many, and they usually decide in favor of their own greed and power and make life miserable for most people. So there's always a struggle uh, how to uh, uh, decentralize power. And I'm not just talking about government power. Here we have corporate power. We have corporate power, Wall Street over Washington, the corporate state. That's the biggest problem now, turning the government against its own people, misspending money, stripping them of voice, stripping them of power, giving them too few choices in elections, having money determine elections more than votes. Uh, you know, people know that. And uh, what's happened is uh, that people have let go of their country. Uh, they are either withdrawing from any uh, showing up, you know, half of democracy is showing up at rallies, marches, uh, city council meetings, voting, uh, courtrooms. Uh, if they haven't given up, they don't do their homework, and they're very vulnerable to slogans and uh, politicians that are very mischievous, to put it uh, mildly. And they're manipulated and controlled. So there's just a small number of people that do their homework. And I'll tell you, it's about 1% of the people that's holding up our democracy. You see them standing up at town meetings. You see them trying to get people to vote. You see them running for local, state, and federal election. You see them putting out studies. You see them filing good lawsuits in the environmental area, consumer protection, standing up for tenants, for example, for blue-collar workers. Uh, but it, but they're, they're being overwhelmed because now, and I, I've seen it over many, many years, that no matter how often you regulate these corporations, try to make them behave, try to prosecute them when they're corporate criminals and do a lot of that, uh, look at Wells Fargo and faking the, all these uh, credit card accounts without people knowing it, selling them auto insurance without people knowing it, and they still are not criminally prosecuted. But they keep coming back. They're corporate law firms, they're public relations firms. So it's a never-ending struggle, which is why I always emphasize um, what I call the Kyber Pass to democracy. <laughs> that is the Congress. We want to start anywhere. And people keep saying, what can we do? We know things are not good. Worried about the kind of country we're going to leave for our children and grandchildren. What can we do? And I say, look, there's one institution has enormous power under the Constitution. It happens to be the smallest one, the U.S. Congress, 535 men and women who put their shoes on every day like you and I. So I'm focusing everything on getting people to turn the country around and to pass long overdue reforms, living wage, uh, uni universal health insurance, cracking down on corporate crime, fraud and abuse, protecting taxpayer dollars, uh, 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 labor rights, on and on. And getting people to organize Congress watchdog groups in their local community, which is why, in order to get people to laugh themselves seriously and pay attention to something they would often not be interested in, changing Congress, I put out this book, How the Rats Reformed the Congress. It's a fable, but I've got it set up so people can make it happen back home, because on ratsreformcongress.org, not only can people get this book, and they're ordering it five at a time at an amazing They're, they're giving it away as gifts, I hear. Yeah, because they want to seem to discuss it in living rooms. I think something's going on there. But there's also a free uh, 
tutorial on how, how to form these Congress rat watchers group, we call them, uh, to monitor their two senators and representatives, summon them to their own town meetings back home, that is the people's town meeting, and just put what kind of changes. You want a $15 minimum wage. You want uh, universal health insurance. You want tax reform. Put it in front of them and send them back with their instructions. And this can be done. It's easy. I keep saying it's easier than we think. You know, a prior program talked about a little book I put out called Breaking Through Power. It's easier than we think. I give all kinds of examples, contemporary and American history. One percent or less of the people reflecting public opinion and knowing what they're talking about can turn around our country, no matter how powerful these corporations uh, appear to be. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.